Hi, this is Steve Andres. I'm the pastor of New City Church, and this is our podcast. Every week at New City, we invite people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and learn how to make a difference. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message inspires and challenges you to love God and serve your city more. If you want more info on New City Church or other resources, go to newcity.life today. But for now, enjoy this message. Today, we're going to kick off a series of talks called New Normal. The reason for this is because on the other side of this crisis that we're experiencing, there are going to be so many changes. Things will not be the same. Now, this is hard for a lot of us to process, and so a lot of people are just baking bread instead. It seems like everybody is trying to cook and bake and do things that they didn't enjoy doing before just because we want to get our minds off of what is happening now. And I get that. Believe me, I really do get it. In Illinois, we're talking about a phased approach to activities that will ultimately mean opening businesses and schools and, yes, even churches. And so as we approach that and as we walk through that phased approach, uh, I want want you to, to know that whatever normal looks like in the future, these next few weeks are going to be about letting God's word speak to us and challenge us to be prayerful in our preparation, biblical in our perspective, and loving in our actions. I want to talk to you a little bit more personally for a few minutes about where I see us headed as New City Church during this time. And I spent a lot of time wrestling with this and praying about this. And listen, I want, I want you to know this. We will always be about inviting people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. That's the four-step journey that we are inviting everyone to walk along. It doesn't matter whether you are new to church or whether you've been in church your whole life. We want to be sure that you can see yourself taking each one of those steps. And so we will always be about that. But the particulars of how we go about that are going to change and adapt with the seasons. So whenever we do gather together again, in whatever form we can do that, I have three commitments that I want to give to you as a leader. First of all, this. We will adapt. From the way that we structure ourselves as a church to the way that we think about doing church, we are committed to being agile in the midst of change. Secondly, we will protect. We'll always do our best to protect people, especially those who are vulnerable among us, because we believe that's what God has called us to do. That means even when we begin meeting in person again, we'll maintain an emphasis on this digital format so that everyone can continue to be a part of our worshiping community. And there may be people who can't join us for a long time, uh, either out of fear of of the virus or for other uh, circumstances that for one reason or another forbid them from being able to be with us in person. And so we're going to continue to maintain the emphasis on this digital format and to minister to them as earnestly as we would minister to those who are gathered in person. Thirdly, we are going to care. Since the COVID-19 crisis began, New City has actually been able to share over $50,000 with groups of people who are vulnerable, isolated, out of work, or in the front lines, on the front lines, caring for those who are sick. So that support uh, has, has, has gone out to everybody from single moms to doctors and nurses, and we have tried to be as responsive as possible and to support those who are in need during this time. And our, our commitment is that we'll continue to do that. We will expand our reach and our care, and as we restart some of the activities that we used to enjoy together, we will not stop caring about those who are being impacted by this crisis. Now, 
I know that everybody is talking about new normal. and Certainly, I can connect with that idea because we all are wondering, what is it going to look like? But I also wonder if when we talk about normal, if we're all talking about the same normal. John Ortberg said this. He said, everybody is normal until you get to know them. And I think everybody who's married in the house can actually uh, relate to that because she was normal until you married her and he was normal until you married him. And now all of a sudden we realize we're not that normal, any of us. So you could just say that. You aren't that normal. Put that in the chat. You could just uh, write that in the YouTube chat there. Say, I'm not that normal. And just go ahead and get it out there for everybody. Jesse is not normal. Let me tell you something super weird about her. Just kidding. Do you think I'm crazy? I would never do that. I am not going to tell you that. She, she isn't normal, but neither am I. Now, the Bible says that Moses was no normal child. Isn't that interesting thing to say? It says he was no ordinary child. We're going to be spending the next few weeks talking about the new normal from that perspective of the life of Moses and the experience of Israel from the book of Exodus. Now, let me read from our text and we can jump into this. In Exodus chapter 14, it says this, The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, so he chased after the people of Israel who had left with fists raised in defiance. The Egyptians chased after them with all the forces in Pharaoh's army, all his horses and chariots, his charioteers and his troops. The Egyptians caught up with the people of Israel as they were camped beside the shore near Pahahirath, across from Baal Zephon. As Pharaoh approached, the people of Israel looked up and panicked when they saw the Egyptians overtaking them. They cried out to the Lord and they said to Moses, why did you bring us out here to die in the wilderness? Weren't there enough graves for us in Egypt? What have you done to us? Why did you make us leave Egypt? Didn't we tell you this would happen while we were still in Egypt? We said, leave us alone. Let us be slaves to the Egyptians. It's better to be a slave in Egypt than a corpse in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, don't be afraid. Just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians that you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay Let's pray together. Father, thank you today for your word. Please bless it to our hearts. We don't just want to be hearers. We want to be doers. We don't just want this to reach uh, our ears. We want it to reach our hearts today. And so God, help us, Lord, as we receive it, as we contemplate it together. uh, We ask God that you'd help us to respond to it in the right way. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Now, at this point in our story, Israel has been in slavery for over 400 years in Egypt, which is no short time. Not only have they become acclimated to the oppression of their taskmasters, they have become comfortable in the values uh, and the culture in which they live. So now this is all backstory here. All of a sudden, you have a fugitive who's been missing, who's been in hiding for over 40 years in the desert, and he shows up talking about, let my people go. Now, he'd been raised as one of the king's family, but he had fallen out of favor since then and been on the run. Now, Moses shows up, and in the name of this God, who seems to have been silent now for hundreds of years, he tells Pharaoh that it's time to let the people of Israel go. Now, in the process, he systematically challenges every false god that the Egyptians have been worshiping. The River Nile was considered a god, and 
It gets turned to blood so that it can no longer uh, provide water for irrigation. The frogs, the locusts, these were all representatives of gods that were worshipped in Egypt all the way up to Pharaoh himself. Pharaoh's family was considered divine. And that last plague even touched on that. So after that Passover night, after that last plague, the Bible says that Pharaoh lets his entire nation's workforce go free. Now, there's a detail in the text that I never noticed before until I was studying this week, and it says that the people of Israel left with fists raised in defiance, and I'm not sure what that exactly means, but I just imagine as they're walking out, they're thinking, 400 years of slavery, fists raised raised in defiance. And that detail was in there, I think, because it actually just got Pharaoh a little bit angry. And then the Bible says that Pharaoh has some second thoughts. So he gathers together all of his army, and he begins to chase after them. There was this emotional response, but then there was the economic reality that he was facing. All of my labor has gone. And so this is what he does. He chases after this massive group of people that have been on, have been walking, uh, following Moses, numbering in the millions, headed toward the Red Sea. And when the people of Israel see that army approaching, they jump on Moses. And they go, see, we told you, we knew you were going to lead us out here to die. Take us back to, Israel, or to Egypt. And then they get sarcastic. They say, they say, hey, weren't there enough graves? In e-? Now, these were the people who had actually built these massive complexes dedicated to the dead. So nobody knew better than these, than these uh, Israelites exactly how many graves there were in Egypt. But they say, were there not enough graves that were built in Egypt so that you had to lead us out here into the wilderness so that we could die? These are the same people who'd been praying for generations, God, please get us out of Egypt. And now they're saying that they want to go back. There is such a disruption. There is such an incredible uh, pace of change here that they actually find themselves turning back to their days in slavery and thinking it would be better for us to have never left Egypt. Now, I have a few points for you today as we talk about new normal. Number one, change is inevitable but it's never easy. Things are changing now. They're changing rapidly. But all along, let me tell you, change has been a constant for all of us. Sometimes it happens slowly enough to where it's almost imperceptible. Remember when we used to, uh, there, there was a day when we used to listen to music off of cassette tapes. And then came the CD, and and it was incredible. The CD was like digital quality every time. I can skip and not have to fast forward. What? And then they told us, hey, listen, you can have all of your CDs on this one device, and it it can play back. And then we were like, hey, I don't want all of my music. I want all of the music. I want everything. I want to be able to access it all. And that's literally what we can do right now. We can access any music anytime without any with any problem. That change is incredible that it's happened. I used to complain about all the things before, uh, before this crisis began. I used to complain about Ava going to preschool and Bible study. And now, listen, now I'm like, let's go back. And so many of you are like, I'm going to send a thank you note to my kids' teachers. I'm going to appreciate schools more. Because we realize now exactly how things were before and how much it's changed. Now, I, one of the things is I miss a lot of things about church. I can tell you a few things that I miss in particular. I I miss Thomas singing songs at 6 a.m. in the morning, believe it or not. I miss seeing people hug each other and pray together. 
I miss the mornings where I used to be able to do a walk uh, after, right before church started, I would walk and start in the kids' area and greet everybody and walk around through the lobby, uh, past the coffee, and then into the auditorium right before worship was about to start. I missed that, just taking that, that five-minute walk and being able to see things right before church started. But here's the thing. We are not going to get back to yesterday, and we're not even trying to get back to yesterday. As a matter of fact, I think that as Christians, we are uniquely prepared to adapt and to change because we know that even what is happening today is not normal. What happened yesterday isn't normal and what happens today is not normal. Normal is not even here yet. This is the power of the picture that we get when we come to Christ. Christians have been gripped with a vision of the future that is full of true joy and life and community and beauty and justice. That's the picture that we get from the Bible. This is the normal that the Bible is pointing us to. And so whatever pace of change we have to deal with, we are equipped to deal with it because we know we're still moving ahead toward whatever God has purposed for you and me. What we know now is not normal at all. Most of these mornings, I go out for a run, a short run, just a quick way to get outside. But it's normal for me to not worry about which neighborhood I run through. My normal is not normal, though, for everybody else. My normal as a white American is not the same as everybody else's normal around the world or even here in our country. Now, that's unfortunate, but it is true. My normal isn't normal for everyone. The last weekend was Mother's Day. And as we celebrated moms around the country, we also grieved with one mom who had lost a son. Ahmad Arbery, the story of his killing has reminded us and our whole nation that we have more work to do if we are to break the back of racism. As believers, I think we can be vocal. It's okay for us to be vocal, to say that the, the injustice, the racial injustice that has been normal in our nation in its past is no longer okay. And that means that it's time for a new normal for us. It's painful and it's complicated to talk about some of these things, but we have to be diligent with it or we'll be living, we'll be living in yesterday's normal. And here's something that I think is really important that we understand. Time, the passage of time, does not necessarily bring about maturity. The heart-searching conversations that we need to have as a nation, the, the, the uh, reevaluation of our priorities and commitments, this is all necessary if we want to move closer to that vision that I was talking about of the kingdom of God that the Bible gives to us. We have to be willing to be diligent in this. Dr. King said, our world is a neighborhood. And I think we could see today just how connected our world has become. He said, our world is a neighborhood, but we need an ethical commitment if we're to make it a brotherhood. I think that's pretty powerful because that, I think, is part of the direction that God wants to move us in and as believers to really look toward that to say, you know what? We have a vision for, for, for the normal that God has in mind for us and so we can deal with the change that we experience today. Number two, change is inevitable but growth is intentional. Moses tells the people of Israel, you're going to have to decide to trust God today. There will be no crossing of the Red Sea without making a decision to trust God and then eventually to put one foot in front of the other. Now, that's a, that's a big thing because quarantine, I think, has put some pressure on us to reevaluate our commitments and our habits. I read 
uh, this week that Shakespeare, uh, he wrote King Lear while there was some sort of outbreak that was taking place in, in, uh, in Britain during the time. So he, he was actually in quarantine when he wrote King Lear. Now, he didn't have kids or Instagram or Zoom or you know, scheduled calls with people who never used to want to talk to him. Uh, but the fact is that he did that. And I, I read that Isaac Newton also developed his laws of motion during a quarantine too. I think it just makes us all, I'm, not t- I'm saying this because I've really felt guilty about the way I've used my time during this quarantine, right? Some of us are trying to set goals, but our goals are like wear pants, shower, eat. And I mean, we're not aiming for King Lear, right? We're not aiming high, but that's okay. This has been challenging because everything in our lives has been shaken. So many things have been shaken. But there might be something to be gained from this time as well. I can remember playing Monopoly with a friend who would have this habit of whenever he was kind of getting behind and losing, he would really kind of, you know, accidentally bump the board so that everything kind of got spilled and, and, and turned over. And then he would be, oh, sorry, where did I have this hotel? Which, which properties did I own? And the, 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 it was just his way of reordering everything. And we used to laugh and then get angry at him. But the fact is that in our lives, the board has been shaken. And that means that you and I get to choose how we want to reorder the board of our lives. We get to choose where we want to place things what kind of commitments we want to make. You can choose now to have a time of prayer and scripture reading every day. You can choose today to to place the right things in the right order in your life. And here's what I want you to see. Your choices will lead to habits and those habits are going to determine who you are becoming. Who you are becoming is not the product of the goals that you set, but of the habits that that you are living in. Here's the best advice that you might get all day today. It's really hard to set goals right now because we don't actually know what's about to happen. Nobody gets to set goals because we don't even know what's going to happen two months from now. But it's okay because if you can establish the right habits, you won't even have to worry about the goals. It's not your goals that are going to determine your destiny. It is your commitments. Or maybe even more precisely, it's your habits. Coach Bill Walsh, who coached multiple teams to victory in the Super Bowl. He's famous for saying this, the score will take care of itself. That just means that if you get your habits right, you will be ready come game time. It's about being intentional in the midst of change. So I want you to see that again. Change is inevitable, but growth is always intentional. Number three, change is inevitable because God isn't finished. God isn't finished, and so we can expect that things are going to shift all the time. He will even take the brokenness of our world and use it to accomplish his purposes. So I want you to see this. While we are working on normal, God is working on new. While we are working on getting back to normal, God is working on new things. Isaiah 43, 19 says this. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I'm making a highway in the wilderness and streams in the desert. If you look back at our text and you remember, the very answer to prayer that God gave has now become a problem for Israel. They had prayed for generations. The Lord set us free. But getting free meant facing the Red Sea. Getting an answer to that first prayer meant facing challenges on the way to God's greater purposes. God's provision today, I want you to see this, might actually lead to a a new prayer request tomorrow. 
God's provision in your life today might mean a challenge, a new challenge tomorrow. Ask anyone who ever prayed for children. And then as they're raising those children, they're praying again, God, please help us. Because the answer to my prayer from yesterday has now become my prayer request for today. Ask anyone who ever got a job that they prayed for, and then they had to pray again for grace to deal with those challenges. Ask anybody who ever prayed to get married, and now today they're praying, please don't let me kill them, Lord. Whatever yesterday's prayer request was, sometimes the answer to that can become a prayer request today. I would even say so many couples have felt the pressure of being uh, in quarantine during this time. So many singles have felt the pressure of isolation during this time. Jesse and I have never had more intense conversations, more uncomfortably vulnerable moments than during the pressure of this season. But I will say we have grown even though it hasn't been easy. Change will continue to happen. This is what I want you to see. Change will continue to happen because God is not finished yet. Let me tell you about what makes Christians so abnormal. Because when everybody else is talking about how great the world is, We're over here reminding them that that our world is still broken and needing healing. And then when everybody is talking about how terrible the world is, we're over here talking about our hope in how God will redeem it and change it and transform it. We We always seem to be out of step with what is normal in our world because our Savior was so utterly out of step with what is normal in our world. Jesus lived a perfect life, the Bible says. And all of history has resoundingly agreed that Jesus lived a perfect life, the only innocent man in all of human history, but he was shouted down and condemned to death. He suffered. He died. And then the Bible says he was alive again, raised to new life, appearing to hundreds of witnesses who testified that they had seen him. There is nothing normal about Christianity. And I would say this, if we're after what is normal, it might not be the better thing. I would say I would choose the abnormal of eternal life, the abnormal of a risen Savior whose grace is greater than my sin. I would choose that over normal any day. Jesus disrupted the established order of things. There was nothing normal about the life that Jesus lived. It was perfect in every way. It was filled with love and beauty and goodness. And there was nothing normal about the death that he died. The one sinless, innocent man in all of human history, the Bible says, carried the punishment for all of us sinners on his back. Moses told Israel, stand still and watch how God works on your behalf. And then the Bible says that when, they, when the Red Sea was parted, they walked through on dry ground because when God does something, he does it perfectly. Let me tell you that what Jesus did when he took my sin and your sin on the cross, what he did when he triumphed over death, hell, and the grave, it was a perfect work of grace. It lacked nothing because that's how God is. There is no other way to be saved. There is no other road to heaven than by the grace of God in Christ. The Bible is clear that our good works, our reputation, our family, None of these things are enough for you and me to find eternal life. It says only if we admit our sin and trust in the saving power of Jesus' death and resurrection, only then can you and I have confidence that we'll be saved and have eternal life. Now, I am passionate today about seeing you make that decision. 
I absolutely believe that this is the power to change your life because I've seen it do the same in my life. I believe that if you receive the grace of God in your life, it can change you and impact you. And not only that, it can impact everyone that you're connected to. And so in this moment, when everything in our lives has been shaken, you have an opportunity to put this piece in its right place, the most important piece of your life, to say, I will trust Jesus with my life, and I want you to do that today. You can be forgiven because of what Jesus has done for you. All I want you to do today, if you would like to do that today, I want you to pray this prayer with me. And everybody, wherever you are in your home, I want you to pray with me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross, you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to. You rose from the grave to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.